for all those up Swindon fans. But you're not there yet. In it goes! Oh, it's gone in! Richard left foot is what a volley! It's the stuff of champions! It's the stuff of dreams! And Donate races it on goal and Donate! Hello and welcome to episode 57 uh, of Together, a Brighton and Hove Albion podcast. We are cracking on. Um, We have a lot to cover this week uh, and we have an exciting new segment. Um, So this week I'm not going to be doing my top five stories of the week. uh, And the reason why is because um, the new segment that we are doing on the show um, is really only supposed to be about 15 minutes. And the first one ended up uh, with a lot of growing pains going about 30. Um, I think you're going to like it a lot anyway. Um, and I'm really excited about it, but, uh, that's the reason for no top five stories of the week this week. Um, two reasons, actually, there really isn't been a great deal go on, uh, at the Albion over the last week or so. Um, and secondly, of course, the new segment. So let's talk about the new segment first. Um, we're, the way the show is going to work today is we're going to cover Norwich, uh, the review of the Norwich game, uh, and we're going to look ahead to the Manchester United preview as well. After that, we're going to segue into the the final segment. And once that is done, the podcast will be over. Um, There will be no parting words from me. So I will say my goodbye after the Manchester United preview. um, And we will segue straight into the new segment. So let's talk about the new segment. Uh, I've had a couple of people reach out over the last couple of years um, with... A, a lot of great feedback. So thank you for everybody's uh, thoughts, feelings, concerns about the show. I always try and include uh, any suggestions you have or ideas you have, if they're uh, applicable, um, into the show. If they're not, I always try and get in touch with you and tell you why. Um, And recently, uh, I had a friend of mine uh, come to me with an idea that they wanted to pitch. Um, His name is Robin, and he'll be on the show this week with the new segment. Um... And it plays into a bit of feedback that I actually have received from a couple of other people um, on social media in that uh, the first two years of this show, I've focused a lot on Albion today, what we look like, where we've came from, very slightly. Um, And I have focused uh, both on the Albion, but also the international market. And I'll explain why. Um, First of all, uh, I live in the US, so I have a huge uh, advantage that most people don't have in that I speak to these people every day um, and I get to see that uh, the Premier League and English football especially is really growing over here. And so it seems silly of me um, not to at least harness some of that. <clears throat> and secondly, uh, it's just basic listener numbers. Um, the United States are my second biggest listener base by a mile. Um, with, of course, the UK being the first one. Um, So that is why I try and integrate uh, as much, maybe even beginner facts and stuff about the Arbyan as I can, um, because I know we have a huge amount of new fans coming in um, that deserve to know where we are and why we're here. Um, But we we haven't 
we haven't indulged ourselves in, a nos- in, a, in enough nostalgia over the years. So this segment is an ode to all of you who have been there through the thick and the thin with the Albion. Um, we will be doing a Where Are They Now uh, segment every week or as many weeks as we can. Uh, if this segment gets great feedback, even better. Um, and what we're going to do, uh, Robin and I, is we're going to pick three players each week um, of Albion yesteryear, and we're going to do as much research as we can about them. Um, We are going to find out where they came from, where they went after the Albion, any memories that we have of them at the Albion, uh, and then really just kind of summarize where they are now um, and what they did after. So... The, the reason this came through is uh, he got in touch with me and he was saying that it would be a really cool idea and we picked our first three and we went with a theme. Um, and we're going to try and go with a theme each week. Uh, we've we've chatted back and forth and we have genuinely thrown out about 100 names between us, like, easily, uh, that we could look into from Albion yesteryear. And this week we decided um, to go with the Argentinian theme. Uh, So this week, we are going to be recalling the lives of Federico Turienzo, Augustin Batapiedi, and Christian Baz. For the new fans amongst you, you're not going to know any of those names. Uh, For the old fans amongst you, I hope you are beginning to reminisce already. Uh, We are going to get in touch with them, uh, look at what their lives were like, and who knows, maybe we may even have some words from the men themselves uh, in this episode and episodes going forward, um, because I'll tell you this for free, uh, they're a lot easier to get in touch with uh, as opposed to the club, who are a nightmare to get any kind of leeway into. Um, I'm very close to emailing Paul Barber again, uh, like I did the first time to get the uh, Albion's Women's Chief Online uh, to beg off and see if I can get another uh, really cool interview for all you fans from an Albion perspective, uh, but they just ignore all my media emails, so that's sad. Um, but these people don't. Um, we we are super excited to show the segment. Uh, I hope you enjoy it, and that is all I'll say about that. Um, over the course of the following weeks, um, we have our theme for next week set up already. There is a uh, French section next week um we have our three players picked uh but i would love you to in the comments or on twitter or instagram or facebook dm me uh direct message me at me whatever you want to do with your suggestions of players you would love us to dig into for the future uh it is just a glorified nostalgia trip and i had a lot of fun doing it Uh, and i think you'll have a lot of fun listening to it because they have had some adventures (laughs) Um, But moving on to the main part of the show uh, that we do every week. So let's talk about Norwich. Uh, Does anybody else get the feeling that nobody wants us to be here and doing as well as we're doing? Uh, It does feel both on social media and um, just on TV and commentary. um, It really seems to irk a lot of the media analysts um, that Potter is producing such quality football um, and especially such an excellent set of recent home results. Uh, If you go on social media uh, and you look at the way most analysts are speaking about us, they are very begrudging. I've even seen that word several times um, because they were adamant that letting Chris go was a huge mistake and we would sink without a trace. Um, And yet here we are, another home win. The Amex fortifications are being rebuilt. The fear returning to the visiting teams and the confidence of who we are, um, the identity we have and what we can do is growing by the game. 
Um, and honestly, regardless of what's to come in these next four brutal games we have, um, I don't see that confidence wavering from the from the Albion. Uh, we look excellent. Um, we weren't at our best last week, and we still picked up the win. Uh, we were at our not at our best this week either, but we played a lot better. Um, and we, you know, we comfortably saw out a game uh, against a side that was supposed to be an expansive attacking side with homegrown talents coming into the Premier League. Well, um, our talents hammered them. <laughs> so looking at the stats, uh, we set out from the start in four four two. Uh, with Burnett left back again. Um, I prefer us playing three at the back. You know that. I know that. Uh, but Graham Potter is the manager. I am not. And he is playing a lot better football than I could ever hope to instill. Uh, we had 58% possession. Uh, 21 shots to their seven. Um, they had seven shots. Zero on target. One off the woodwork. Um, we had five on target. Four blocks and 12 wide. Um Ryan had very, very little to do yesterday. Um, there was the one that rattled the bar, um, and you would be crazy not to accept that the wind had a huge influence in the game overall today, yesterday, rather. Um, there was a couple of proper crosses that were comically bad. Uh, I actually laughed out loud a couple of times um, at just how much the wind carried them flying over the bar into the stand. Um and it was frustrating to see that he wasn't quite able to gauge how bad the wind was um, because they were just sailing over the bar. Um, but Ryan had very little to do today, uh, yesterday. I'll get there eventually. Um, and I thought that it was a great example of just how little threat a team can pose when we are in our swing. Um, we had 84% pass accuracy to their 79%. Um, and most importantly, they were dispossessed 14 times to our six. Um, and several of those almost resulted in goals. They were giving away possession in really dangerous areas. Um, Norwich seemed to have totally lost their identity, uh, totally counteractive to us, right? Um, we had eight corners to their three. We won 15 aerial duels to their six. Uh, we won 19 successful tackles to their 10. Um, the result, based on stats, flatters Norwich. And I'm sure that anyone watching this game yesterday agrees that watching it without seeing a single number on the stat sheet would agree that we could have had another 5-0 win yesterday. Um, and no one would tell me I'm being far-fetched. Uh, we had plenty of chances to put them to bed before we got the goal. Um, and we are... I can't decide whether we're, we are really turning it on or Norwich are really poor. Um, maybe a mix of both. But Norwich were probably the worst side I've seen at the Premier League, uh, out in the Premier League at the Amex this season. Uh, I thought they were appalling. Um, they didn't really show a great deal. Uh, Pookie is not the player he was at the beginning. I don't know what's happening with them. I know they have a lot of injuries, um, but, you know, we had a real injury crisis and still performed well. And our homegrown talents, as they say, uh, came through during the injury crisis and now can't be taken out the side. So, um, you know, when you spend a million pound or something like that, in the summer, after coming up, you are putting yourself in for a really tough time. And if they stay up, I would be very surprised, um, just based on the fact that they've barely spent anything in the window before seeing them play. Um, but that is another game away from home without a goal since the opening game of the season for them, um, and another comfortable defeat. But moving on to the player individual stats. So on a more individual level, it was a good day at the office for pretty much everybody who took the pitch uh, with blue and white stripes on. Uh, 
especially for a couple of players that have dropped off lately. Um, notably, uh, Davy Proper. So Davy Proper ended the day with two shots, one on target, two key passes. Um, some absolutely sublime transition work uh, from defense to attack. And that final 15 minutes, he looked deadly. Um, Gross is our playmaker, um, but he seemed to take that mantle up in that final 15 minutes along with Trossard. They shared the burden and he looked dangerous playing passes forward. There was a moment where he passed the ball with the outside of his foot on the counter uh, that was just beautiful. Um, Unbelievable. Uh, He had 87 touches yesterday as well. Only Dunk had more with 89 um, and he helped out defensively too. David Proper, three tackles and a clearance. Uh, He rivals Dale Stevens in that regard yesterday. Uh, He really worked his socks off all day. Uh, Dale only had one extra tackle. Um, Other than that, they were even. So he seems to realize that Moy is very much a competition for him. And a lot of feedback on social media this week told me that they would rather have seen Proper out for Moy. And it was understandable. Um, don't get me wrong, this isn't a I told you so or you shouldn't have said that. Like This is just to note that he must have seen it or felt it too because he stepped it up big time because Moy was absolutely on his ass about it. Um, I thought another major standout was Montoya. Um, four tackles, five interceptions. That is more defensively than any other player by far. He also then contributed two key passes, a, a successful dribble and an assist. Um and arguably their most dangerous uh, attacking threat other than Puki, uh, the Cuban Hernandez uh, that the fans, Norwich fans were hugely happy about playing, um, was very quiet when coming down that width, like on the width. Um, he got a lot more dangerous cutting in, Hernandez, uh, but he had no threat at all out wide. Um, and that's down to the fact that Montoya marshaled him excellently. Uh, you know, because it was such a great game, uh, for the side in general, I want to highlight the stat leaders this week um, from the game. So pass accuracy uh, was Lewis Dunk, 94.4% pass accuracy. He also came away with the most touches in the game and the most block shots. Uh, Shane Duffy came on for Adam Webster. Most aerials won. Won four, four aerial duels yesterday. Um, bit worrying about Adam Webster. We know that he went off and went straight to the hospital for scans. Um I've heard from several other people on social media, which you never know how how reliable they are, um, that he left the hospital in crutches and a boot. Hopefully that isn't true, um, but you never know. Um, hopefully he can come back soon. Uh, but at the same time, you know, Duffy came in and was instrumental in the rest of our game. So it's reassuring that we have such excellent centre-halves to rotate with. It's just if Lewis Dunk gets a yellow card again soon, we could be in big trouble. Um, because he is on four for the year and he needs to not get another booking now until Christmas to not get suspended. And I'm sure we all agree that is impossible because <laughs> Lewis Dunk is always going to get booked every other game. Uh, so uh, Trossard, four key passes. Um, my man of the match, honestly. Uh, Mopai, seven shots. Uh, lots of them blocked, should have scored. Disappointing day at the office, probably, for Mopai. I think he could have done a lot more with what he had. Um, Alzate won four fouls, more than anyone else, by a million miles. Um, But for me, Trossard made the difference. Uh, He was my man of the match. Um, And the moment he came on, the game changed. And honestly, if Graham Potter leaves him out again next week, I would say that's his first major um, selection mistake, in my humble opinion. Uh... A goal and an assist after 30 minutes on the pitch. He looked unreal. 
Um, massive props to Pop Potter, by the way, uh, for being so proactive and getting him on with about 58 minutes ticking by. Uh, he knew what he wanted to do. He knew the change he wanted to make, and he went ahead and did it. Um, interesting to note that I felt that Trossard looked less than pleased, uh, even with the goal and assist. Was he unhappy he didn't get the start? Uh, was it just his attitude that day? Was it nothing to worry about? I don't know. Um, he has been noted as a bit of a live wire of a person back at Genk. Um, but regardless, he has to start next weekend. Uh, his set pieces too were excellent. You know, he got the, he got the assists for Duffy's goal. Um, and that ball in was brutal. Um, I still believe he should come in for Aaron Connolly over Pascal Gross. Um, and I think he will. Uh, but Trossard is an absolute monster. Um, and I think he could cause Manchester United, uh, a whole host of problems at the back. Um, and speaking of Manchester United, that is where we go next. So looking at Manchester United, um, they are a very weird side this year under Ali Gunnar Solskjaer. Um, whether you think he should have been given the manager's role or not doesn't really matter because we're Albion fans and uh, what happens in Old Trafford doesn't really matter to us for pretty much 37 games a season uh, until we have to travel there. So let's have a look at how they're doing at Old Trafford. Um, they have played five home games so far this season. Eight goals, 13.2 shots per game, 10 yellow cards. Um, very uncertain, so they're very uh, uncertain in the way they play at the minute for a Graham Potter to go up against. Um, and despite them papering over some crap cracks, uh, you would hope, quite unbelievably to say, um, that we might be able to nick a point next weekend and run for the hills. Um, they are much better at home than away, not to say much about their home or away record. They've been poor all year, um, but they have only lost once to Palace, funnily enough. Um, people will say uh, in the build-up next week that they have won three of their last four. They're turning a corner, um, but I feel that's a bit dishonest. Um, their last five Premier League games are not so rosy. Uh, two losses, two draws and a win. Um, yes, they beat Chelsea, I think, in the Carling Cup or whatever it is this week. Uh, and they beat Partizan Belgrade um, in Europe. But, you know, that's we're not talking about the same situation here. Um, these are cup games. They don't, they don't apply the same. Um, and I think it's interesting to note that their Premier League record is not so great in their last five. They can be beaten. Um, they are very dangerous on the counter. It's how they will probably set up to play. Um, it's a, another reason we're going to miss Webster next week um, because I think he's quicker than Duffy. Uh, but at the same time, um, Webster has also been kept uh, kept on his toes a little bit with recent games uh, where he's been caught out on the counter. So maybe it will be a good spot for Duffy to be there as that rock against those fast lightning players of Rashford and Martial. Um, they're also very solid at set pieces, of course. They have a lot of big players that can go forward. Um, however, thankfully for us, uh, they can't seem to score many of their chances. Like, eight goals in five games at Old Trafford is pretty poor for a United side of this, this day and age. Um, and they can't cope with those individual skill players. That is one of their biggest weaknesses, um, according to whoscored.com and... Uh, What's the other one? Sofa score. Uh, individual skill players cause them a huge amount of problems. That is another reason why Leandro Trossard simply has to start next week. Um, they have been vulnerable ill season 
um, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's job is vulnerable. Um, and you can see how Potter does against teams that have very vulnerable managers. Marco Silva, uh, Pochettino, Steve Bruce. You know, we've gone into those games. We have imposed ourselves and we have won or drew games that, you know, the one with Bruce at Newcastle was an unbelievable show of dominance. So uh, Martial, Rashford, Rashford, Daniel James, um, and some others are obviously going to be dangerous all day. Um, they're, they're only going to need one or two chances to carve that defense up, but they haven't been getting them against most teams. Um, they just aren't getting enough chances. So they're also players known for losing concentration. Concentration. They're also players known for making stupid mistakes. They're also young players that may not believe in their manager. Uh, McTominay, for like, for example, um, is always prone to a mistake, despite how solid he is 85 minutes of a game. Um, my 11 for this week would be uh, Ryan, Montoya, Dunk, Duffy, Byrne, Alzate at left wing back. I am reverting back to three at the back because I like to have three at the back to contend with four people going forward, which they seem to have. Uh, proper, Dale Stevens, Pascal Gross, Neil Mopai, and Trossard. So I'm really not changing anything in the in the lineup other than Connolly out, Trossard in, um, and just switching Alzate to left wing back. Um, I think that we have had an unbelievable run of games, right? We've just taken a bunch of points that we weren't sure we would get given the start to the season. Um, I think that most fans had a lot of faith in what Potter was doing was going to work, and it has. Uh, so these next four are absolutely brutal. Um, whether we can walk away with uh, good results or not, we'll see. Um, but like I said in a tweet yesterday, um, even if we lost all four, we are still on 15 from 15, which is... 38 points after a season and that is survival whether we end up with more even better uh yes leicester are excellent yes manchester united are still manchester united yes arsenal are still arsenal um but i think all three of those games are games where we possibly could steal points uh, or even well earn points so we shall see uh, it could be a brutal four weeks or it could be a really nice set of uh, surprises but we shall see so that is about it from me on this segment. Uh, we are going to transition into our nostalgia of where are they now uh, with Thierry Enzo, Batapiedi, and Christian Baz. Uh, as I said, any feedback, would love to hear it. Um, I received a lot of feedback this week from people. Um, email, DM, audio clips. Uh, I'm really sorry I haven't played them this week or spoke about them. Um, this segment is like 30 minutes long and I really don't want to go over an hour. Uh, I feel that's a lot of time for you to be listening to me. Um, so it's not that I don't like what you're saying. Uh, you are all very articulate in the in the reviews you're giving. It was just a bad week in terms of the amount of content I was trying to get through um, with this new segment. So I hope you have a great week. Thank you. Please keep bringing that kind of information or feedback to me. Uh, I will play that uh, next week if not before, um, and have a good week and enjoy the segment and be safe. So I'm going to start with, with Federico Turienzo. My vintage of supporting the Albion starts in 1997, so the lowest possible bar that we can have as an entry point as a modern Albion fan. So, you know, those first few years of supporting the Albion standards on the pitch obviously were fairly rock bottom it was a depressing time having to go to Gillingham then coming back to Wisdean and starting to rebuild and it was a period that was symbolized by for me basically is we never really seemed to sign anyone exciting or exotic sounding which I know is quite a kind of 
it's quite a superficial way to judge whether you're excited about a signing or not. But that's me at the time. That was how I judged it. And I remember reading the description of, of this Argentinian striker. It was 22 or 23 years of age signing for us. And it was just, it was the first time that I'd ever got ludicrously excited about anyone signing for the Albion. And it was based on absolutely nothing at all beyond the description given in the, the article on the website. And it was reading this, the quote from Dick Knight that was basically saying, we've watched him train and we've watched videos of him and we're very excited about him, which obviously begs the question, we didn't actually seem to scout him playing in any matches properly. Um, and it was also the, the, the line in the article that said we'd paid a six-figure fee for him which you think at the time is an awful lot of money, isn't it? I mean, we referenced Gary Hart at the start of the segment. You know, this is, this is within living memory of, you know, Gary Hart signing for, you know, a few thousand quid in a set of tracksuits. You know, to suddenly go and sign a player who was unknown, but on paper very exciting for 150 grand or whatever it might have been, it was just, it seemed ludicrous at the time. Yeah, exactly. And the fact that, like you were saying previously, like we had to uh, beg off Coca-Cola for 250 grand yeah. just to sign Colin Kazim Richards, which was in that same not window, too far I think, I think it yeah. was later. It was later in that. I think it was definitely in that same window that he signed. Um, and it was just, say, ludicrously excited about it. And it was, we'd just come off that season where we just stayed up by the skin of our teeth and Adam Virgo had been converted from a centre-half to go and play up front on his own as a target man. And he'd basically scored a dozen toe pokes to keep us in the league. And it was just that point where signing someone who was a recognised striker was immediately an improvement. But the fact that it was someone from abroad who was young, who came with this glowing reputation, you know, had been recommended by... Um, I can't remember his name. I think you've yeah, done the man, research. The man, we, the man we have to thank uh, for the glowing recommendation was uh, former Juve star, uh, ZB Boniek. Um, he was the man that sent the videos, uh, I guess, or pumped up Mr. Thierry Enzo to the board. I mean, this is, yeah, I mean, this is pre-YouTube, isn't it? 2005. So, I mean, it's, yeah, I think it's it not is. like, it's not even like you can kind of lazily be, go on YouTube and find him on there. I mean, this is kind of like someone's going to have had to send the Albion a CD, I guess. Yeah. Um, basically, <laughs> Six I'd floppy imagine. Discs. <laughs> yeah, exactly. A dozen floppy disks of him <laughs> in action, I'd have thought, which is quite an undertaking, isn't it? So... It obviously worked, you know, signed. But I say I've been been doing a bit of reading and talking to a, a few fans from that era as well. And, you know, there are rumours that Mark McGee didn't want to sign him, having actually seen him play. So he came over, had a trial with us, and I think played in a trial game at Lewis. And um, by all accounts, wasn't, wasn't very good. And Mark McGee didn't want to sign him. But obviously, you know, we pressed ahead and signed him anyway. And the result was him being virtually permanently injured making four appearances and we finished bottom of the league and he left after one season so you know true yep. albion style really truly um he did he made his home debut uh, at home to reading uh, came on for 29 minutes um and everybody's favorite left back right back center half midfielder jason dodd came off for him that day um he is going to be a man that we could do an entire segment alone on with the amount of journeyman he did <laughs> yeah could probably but, do a whole uh, segment on his injury history as well, as I thought. Honestly, you really could. <laughs> um, 
he made he ended up making 233 appearances after us uh, or including us as well confirmed appearances 47 goals in them uh, i think it was you that was saying what a goal in six uh, yeah, not exactly the sort of record, record. you'd want <laughs> as no. a striker um, and for, i know you it? i know you already know this uh, but the ref that day against reading was kevin friend uh, not our friend but kevin friend no. of premier wow. league fame um, so Kevin Friend came up the leagues with us, uh, and he had to bear witness to the magic that was Federico Tirienzo. Maybe that's why he doesn't like us. <laughs> that's it. Maybe he just thought, what on earth are you inflicting on me? Wow. <laughs> but I mean, I say it was, it did, it marked a bit of a, I think this kind of signing marked a, a bit of a, a turning point in that our scouting and our reach as a club started to get a little bit wider. And we started to bring players in. Obviously, you know, we've talked in, you know, in the segment as well about some of the other players, you know, Alexis Burton will come on to and Frutos and, you know, Seb Carroll and some of these other players who we've kind of benefited from the fact that the club, I don't know, I don't think finances came into it, but maybe I think they, they thought they had to be a bit different in, in how they were going to source their players, you know, kind of low, low, low output, but, you know, no risk, but, you know, trying yeah. to find find these players that maybe other clubs weren't looking at um but yeah he's uh, it did mark that kind of thing we think oh hang on a minute you know we are starting to be a bit more professional we're actually looking you know beyond the confines of of the uk to try and find some some players obviously you know you get you know if you if you speak to fans who are kind of you know our parents generation they'll talk about the albion side players like sergey gotsmanov and like hans cray and these kind of cult figures who came from europe but for us that kind of 97 till early early 2000s period obviously you know we we didn't have we hadn't had any of these kind of cult heroes obviously not that tyrienza became a cult hero in the way that he <laughs> right in the way that he wanted to, to. <laughs> but you know what i mean you know we didn't we hadn't had these kind of you know in, in my head anyway we hadn't had these kind of glamorous signings um that that really started to get people excited so that's my kind of that's he you know for me he is he is the ultimate original kind of flair signing that we made obviously yeah, no and i think based I think on for, your, for our generation i think you're spot on i think it was the man that came through and like like with we're gonna get to like he was he was almost eight years seven years ahead of the baz batapiedi reign so like yeah. he was he was a huge signing at the time and everybody like I was 14 15 or whatever when we signed him and I was excited as well like you know we could this could be the guy and he ended up obviously not being anywhere near the being guy the, <laughs> very the opposite of the guy but it's I mean it's the other it's a similar point to what we'll what I think we'll come on and make with um with Baz and 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 Batipiedi, which is two things one we didn't think about the time that you know the fact that why why didn't he go to a, a bigger club basically you know if he came with this reputation and he was only 22 and he was a decent striker and you know he'd been playing football and not a decent level you know he'd been playing senior football he's come with this recommendation from you know quite a big figure in european football what is the thought process behind you know he, watching this guy play in in Serie b in italy and suddenly thinking oh i know what i'll um I'll send a DVD of his performances to Mark McGee 
I mean, like, in yeah. what world does that? <laughs> what world is this? The natural progression of events. It's it's a world it's, that it's, I I like. I can't help but like. <laughs> You've got to love say, it. Yeah, it is, and the following is obviously that, you know, without being mean, thankfully his career didn't explode into something massive, and, you know, and we missed out on the next big thing. Agreed. And you don't want to, and I can understand the gamble that they made. Um, Oh, yeah, absolutely. But I think, I say, the surprising thing is is that the money that was spent on him compared to what we had available at the time and what we were routinely spending or not spending on players. I mean, you'd have thought if, if we had that money available to spend, that it would have been spent on a more established player. Yeah, or, or at least you know, just, or, uh, yeah, if you want to go for a young player. player. <laughs> yeah, or even just go, you know, if you want to do that, maybe just go and speak to Chelsea and see if you can't yeah. take two of their players on loan back in the day. Yeah, at least like, have Because that was, that was the Abramovich era. So, yeah. you know. But so six <laughs> figures for us at that point is an insane amount of money. Yeah, it's massive. Um, and there was no way that we were, you know, there was no way we could have just, I mean, like we said, we had to beg off Coca-Cola for 250 yeah. grand. So. I mean, I think it, it's odd, especially when you consider now, you know, we're routinely spending... 10 15 even 20 million pounds on a player and it's kind of i'm not used to that even after three seasons in the premier league i'm not used to that and it you know we've got to the point now where you know he's spending whatever 15 17 million pounds on trossard and we now deciding that that's a bargain which is you know it's madness to be this state near having been through this period has now been found where we really weren't signing anyone and we really weren't spending any money. And then when we did have a bit of money to spend, we were spending it on a total unknown. It's, it's a very weird headspace to be in. It is. It's outrageous. And that's what um, kind of kicked off this idea for this segment, which is I find myself, when I think about us spending 10, 15, 20 million pounds on a player or you know, now routinely on multiple players at you know, that kind of price, I find my brain kind of, drifting off in this weird kind of nostalgia to the time when we've, you know, signed, you know, other players in the past and, you know, see what they're up to now. And Federico was the first name that popped into my head when I was thinking about that topic. So here we are. uh, Yeah, I think it's a great idea. Um, So it was a bit of a strange, a bit of a strange time, wasn't it? Those two joining. I know we've referenced at the start of the segment that it was the kind of the Tevez Mascarano equivalent. And I think my levels of excitement were similar <laughs> when they're signing. Because <laughs> I think it was similar to that one. As far as I recall, the move came out of absolutely nowhere. Yeah, it did. Uh, I think Goss was over in South America for just like, it wasn't supposed to be any kind of scouting trip or anything like that. I think it was just like, oh, he's taking a holiday during the summer and he yeah. comes back with two new players that no one's ever heard <laughs> of before. <laughs> Oh, but it was, I mean, it, it, this is a bit of a, this is a bit of a, a tangent on the side, but I suppose in those days, like kind of, kind of pre-social media, a lot of transfer, like now, nowadays, it's very unusual to have a transfer that, that hasn't been mentioned anywhere, like before it happens, right? Right. And in those days, I suppose it was more common, like you didn't really have, I suppose maybe given the fact we weren't a Premier League club, we didn't have that level of coverage. But I think in general, most signings seem to come sort of out of nowhere anyway 
that's a little, no, I, think <laughs> a little right. side I, think that, I think that someone somewhere has always recommended a player i'll never forget when i recommended in the whatsapp chat is Kiedo like eight months before he got signed yeah and, yeah, you, and you were on F- matt ryan as well weren't you for a good yeah. year before we signed matty ryan as well so yeah, yeah you uh, so someone somewhere has always got a voice in the in the mix for these players these days but like you said like 10 years ago uh it didn't it didn't have that much and it's crazy to think that that was 2009 and yet we've still gone so far ahead of it now um but crazy isn't it as we were speaking uh you've been a busy man um yeah this, i have been a busy man <laughs> So yeah, I decided to uh, to take a bit of a punt and just um, send um, Augustine Batapiedi a message on Facebook just to say, you know, we're doing this segment, we've got this podcast. Um, would you mind sharing any thoughts you've got about you know your time at the Albion, what you've been doing since, you know, anything of interest really? Fired it off, didn't really expect anything to come back, um, and very quickly indeed he came back to me. And we had uh, had quite a long conversation on Facebook chat um, last night for about an hour or so, talking about all sorts of uh, all sorts of different things. So I don't know if we'll do a bit, a kind of a brief intro of his time at the Al- uh, his time at the Albion um, before I go on to what he uh, what he told me. Got a few interesting snippets from him. So see him and him and Baz both arrived from uh, Comunicaciones in Argentina. Yep, that's probably the only time I'm going to get a pronunciation right in this segment. But uh, <laughs> downhill from here. So he'd arrived from uh, from that club in Argentina, where he'd he'd made about 50 appearances. So he'd already played a fair bit of football before he arrived. So it wasn't like a kind of he'd never played first team football anywhere. Seems to have been very highly thought of as a youth player in Argentina, from what I've read. Very yes, it was. Uh... And... He was prim- Premio Revelación in Football de Ascenso. <laughs> by wow. an Argentinian newspaper, and that is uh, that was not as good as your attempt, but that was that was what he was. <laughs> He's uh, he did say he was going to listen to the podcast, so he may well send you some feedback on your pronunciation. <laughs> Please do. Um, <laughs> so yeah, he, he arrives. Ever, if he ever wondered his English speaking was bad, he now feels probably in a great deal better about how bad my attempt is. <laughs> <laughs> so he arrives, um, and he makes. In, by my notes, about 14, 15 appearances for us in that season. Yeah, the winning um, season, right? Yeah, exactly. Was, uh, the, yeah, we'll come season. on to that. But yeah, the winning season, like the best season. If you're going to play for the Albion for one season in your career, this is probably right up there in terms of which squad you want to be involved in. Agreed. Um, so, yeah, so he's, he's in that season, makes 15 or so appearances, and then at the end of the season, he leaves to go and play for Nicky Forster at Dover. Now, the bit that I didn't realise until I spoke to him yesterday was that whilst he was at Dover um, or around that kind of time, he actually damaged his cruciate ligaments. And he ended up back at the Albion doing some rehab is effectively why he joined. You know, he rejoined um, yes, and was playing, the 12, for the, yeah, was, exactly, was playing for the club's under 23s. So I believe he joined... He'll probably correct me on this, but I think he joined kind of December, January time, maybe. Anyway, he was, it, during his rehab, basically, he played for the Albion, turned up for the under-23s, um, which explains why he came back. He then goes off to Salisbury City, um, and then he embarks on something of a, of a nomadic odyssey, really, taking in clubs in Spain, Paraguay, Italy, um, and back to Argentina. So he's still only 30 now. So it's kind of one of those things where you expect him to be older, given, <laughs> you know, in my mind, it seems like such a long time ago. 
Yeah, um, but he was only 20 when he joined. So Yeah. So, and really the fact he arrived well. as a 20-year-old having made 50, you know, 50 appearances is a pretty decent, uh, you know, pretty decent pedigree. Yeah. So it is. I mean, it's one of those things. I think, you know, it's, it's in one, on one hand, you know, it's disappointing that his career at the Albion didn't last longer and he didn't go on to be a more important player. Um, but obviously, on the other hand, he was part, you know, he's part of that squad that played, you know, arguably pound for pound the best football we've seen if you take into account the budget or lack of that we had the division we were playing in you know comparatively speaking with you know we were probably playing better football then than we've played certainly in our first two seasons of premier league football i i totally agree with you and pound for pound is the best way of putting it and for me it's not even an argument i think that absolutely pound for pound was the best season i have ever witnessed under the albion the style of play, the results we got, the other people, teams in the division, when you look back now and look at how well they're all doing, the players yeah. that we had in other teams, like the players that Southampton had, and the way yeah, we... Yeah, it's ridiculous, isn't it? And that was something I hadn't to say. Moving on to what I chatted to him about yesterday, one of his, his, his opening kind of thought was that, number one, his memories of being at the club are really good. Firstly, obviously, still holds the club in, you know, with a lot of affection which is nice to hear. Obviously, being here for that, that season under Gus when we won League One, he gave me a few stats, actually, that he reeled off from the top of his head, which I was fairly impressed by. Don't know if they're 100% accurate, but I think they are. He said that we only lost four games during that season. Okay, I haven't checked that, I mean, this, that, but that I think we only... Right. And two of them were in our final five games of the season after we'd already won the title. That does sound incredibly correct as well. But yeah, I mean, he pulled these stats off the top of his head and obviously, you know, it's been nine or ten years. So I think we'll, we'll forgive him if they're not 100% accurate. But I think they paint, <laughs> right. you know, they paint the correct picture that basically we were brilliant for that entire season, really. And it's funny you mentioned Southampton because that's one of the first things that he picked up on as well, which actually it's easy to forget in all of this. You know, we, we wax lyrical about that season and how great it was. But it's easy to forget that in a way we weren't supposed to win the league because you had Southampton in there who really, you know, should have romped the league with the, with the squad yeah, that they had. Absolutely. And he made quite a funny comment, which I'm sure Albion fans will appreciate. He said, I remember we won it with five or six games to go, leaving Southampton far below us, was his direct quote, which I think was brilliant. <laughs> so, yeah, if we can replicate that this season and leave Southampton far below us again, um, that, would be, that would be quite nice, wouldn't it? Yeah, when you think of it, uh, I just got the league table up, actually. Um, we lost seven. Um, it's not bad. What did he say? Yeah, so he, yeah, he said, he said four. four yeah, it's not bad. Yeah, it's not bad, is it? Less than ten, no, which all. is a pretty good, uh, pretty good. And when you look at the teams in here, we have Southampton that came second, Huddersfield that came third, didn't win promotion that year. Bournemouth Who went that up came as well. Peterborough. Did Bournemouth go up. Oh, Peterborough in the yeah. playoffs. Yeah. Uh, oh, we wow. also have Bournemouth that finished sixth, did not go up. Uh, Leighton Orient finished seventh. Wow. We also had uh, Sheffield Wednesday, the massive Sheffield Wednesday, finishing 15th. Hartlepool United, just under him in 16th. Wow, so there's, there's a lot of clubs that have gone in very different directions from that league, aren't very there? Very different you, directions. You've got, us, you've got us, Huddersfield, Southampton and Bournemouth, who have all had varying degrees of success in the Premier League. Probably, you know, Bournemouth being, in recent times, the top of that pile in terms of, you know, being an established Premier League team. And then you've got the likes of Hartlepool, and Leighton Orient, who are now both 
in the National League. It's yeah, kind of exactly. it's as divergent as you could get, really, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Not so great. anyway, yeah. I then after we talked about that season, you know, initially asked him in particular whether he was surprised that Glenn Murray had gone on to become, you know, an established Premier League striker, um, and he made the point that uh, is very interesting. That there's actually quite a number of players from that squad who have gone on to have successful Premier League careers. So you've got Ashley Barnes, Chris Wood, Steve Cook. Obviously, Lewis Dunk. Solly March was just coming through at the time. He included him in the list. Obviously, you've got Calde as well. So that's a good, you know, half a dozen players in that, in that team who have gone on yeah. to have very, you know, good careers. So, you know, he praised Gus as a manager and said that he definitely made the squad of players better, you know, implemented and stuck to this style or identity that we created. And we, you know, we never diverged from it. Which, of course, is, you know, in one sense, later on in Gus's tenure became arguably a bit of a criticism because we didn't have a plan B. Right, exactly. Not having a plan B isn't just isn't just Gus's issue alone. I think virtually every manager we've had since has been (laughs) accused of not having a plan B as well. Yeah, Um, I think I think the only one that really does look to have a plan B is Potter. Right. Yeah, 100 percent. And uh, and he may well be the fall to the same problem in the end anyway. He didn't at uh, Ostersons, but it's a very different, very different kettle of fish. Well, he seems to have a lot of plans, doesn't he? He's got plans for basically the whole alphabet, looking at it. Right, exactly. Um, So anyway, yeah, I say it was really interesting to hear from someone that was in that squad, um, you know, talking about, you know, the sheer quality of players that we had in there. And it seemed like everything just clicked. You know, we had Gus there with his man management and the style that he was bringing in. We obviously had a very talented squad of of players we had some good youth and experience in there so it just all worked really well and so he had he had nothing but praise for that season obviously given how it went um we then moved on and talked a bit about what he's he's done since obviously we've we've just been through the you know the list of different countries that he's uh, that he's visited as part of his career and um he definitely sees the positive in that you know in terms of life experience of living in all these different places good experience He's now qualified as a sports journalist in his uh, in his spare time and is still playing football. He's currently without a club. He left um, the Italian club that he was with in the summer, and he's now back home in Argentina. He's waiting for the transfer window to open in you know December January um, when he's hoping to join a new club. But say all yeah, in all, it, it that, was. I believe the team was Alasio FC. Yeah, in, in Italy, Italy that yeah, you just I think left. That was the yeah. last one. Um, yeah, so he left them in the summer, back to Argentina. Just imagine working on his fitness and you know waiting, waiting for that window to open. But say all in all, he was a fantastic guy to chat with. Had some really good memories of the club, and obviously you know still clearly has great affection for the team and the fans, which is you know is always nice to hear. It really is. Uh, I'm amazed you managed to get that that quick, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> say it was very nice. It was say it was it was a it was a really nice chat to have, and you know it's it's not. It's not that usual that you get that kind of insight into, you know, the specifics of it. We did, um, the final bit is we did both have a, a little discussion on Vicente after that. Because obviously coming back to the, obviously he came back to the, um, to the club, you know, as part of his rehab and, and playing. And obviously, you know, Vicente was around the club at that point. And we both did kind of agree that it was in one sense absolutely ridiculous. And it still is that Vicente played for the Albion. 
there are some days where even though it happened, even though I witnessed most of his appearances, part of me still just goes, no, nah, it didn't happen. Yeah, <laughs> it just was quite just didn't. I mean, I mean, for our, for you and I and, you know, Agustin's generation as well. At one point, Vicente was the best winger in the world. Certainly yeah. one of the best wingers in the world. Yeah. And to have like him the join the club. on the team sheet on your Pro Evo teams. <laughs> yeah, 100%. And to have him join the club, you know, not... Well, it did turn out to be the tail end of his career, but not in age. You know, he was still, what, early 30s? Yeah, probably when he joined it, I us. He was. I think he was so about So it wasn't 31. like, you know, he's rocking up when he's 36, 37, 38. I mean, this is a guy who was still, you know... He was at the not at the peak of his powers, but we saw flashes of him. You know, you know, right. he wasn't there to he wasn't there to um, you know to kind of make up the numbers. And I think we we both discussed <laughs> that probably one of his his best clips, which was actually the one that didn't result in a goal, which was Derby at home. Remember this yes. one? We obviously oh, yes. a lot of Albion fans will remember this. We you know picked up the ball on the halfway line and seemed to dribble past their entire team about twice. And then smashed the ball against the crossbar. Against the and bar, we both yeah. agreed, you know, it was one of those one of those moments where you just go, Yeah, this this bloke is far too good for basically everyone on the pitch. <laughs> yeah, it really was. It was insane. He signed on uh, September two thousand eleven. He's thirty eight now, so he was actually probably yeah, what, so he was thirty then. Yeah, twenty thirty. Yeah. So the fact that we had this guy, you know, still say what it did turn out to be you know the end of his career you know for, because of injuries and, and that kind of thing but yeah to have i mean this guy, he never you know, played really was at that point that was no, it that was it his last goals could be whatever it was goals against portsmouth i think he yeah scored. um but yeah so anyway lovely to have a chat with Augustine. lovely bloke welcome to uh to come and give us his thoughts on the podcast another time but yeah very grateful to him for giving me an hour of his time to give us some thoughts. Yeah, and hopefully if he does listen to it, he'll come on. <laughs> <laughs> come That's on, Agustin, come uh, on. Uh, his best friend, Christian Baz, also could have been something special. Left winger, I believe, right? Yeah, left winger. Yep, so we signed him in the same summer with the same scouting trip. Um, he did not have as quite uh, a journeyman career after the fact. Um, no. But what what have you got in your brain about Christian Bass? What are you? He is there? he is the he is uh, unusually. I do have a very specific memory of him, and I think it's probably going to be the same memory that basically every Albion fan of that generation who was around at that time will remember, which is his involvement in the penalty shootout FA Cup game at Woking, which was a, an FA Cup first round replay, I think, and it was on TV. I remember not going. I remember watching it on TV. And I think at that time, so we were in League One and Woking were in Conference South. And I remember the game itself was fairly dreadful. I think the weather was absolutely appalling from what I can remember. I think it was absolutely bucketing it down. And I remember it went to extra time, back and forth, finished 2-2, I think. I remember Maurizio Tarico getting sent off for abusing the referee, getting a second yellow card in extra time. I think he was obviously our assistant manager, and I think it was one of his very rare appearances. And he came on and got sent off. And I remember it going. What a to legend, penalty. though! What a also legend. someone, we, also someone also we will be visiting in this show because Tariko needs uh, Tariko needs the segment just simply for the way he oh, yeah. he had his socks on. Just for the way that he tackled is another episode. <laughs> but um, I remember it going into a penalty shootout, and Woking missed all of their penalties, as far as I remember. 
and Christian Baz wanders up to take his penalty. And I remember it absolutely bucketing it down. He's looking like I've just swapped, you know, the beaches of South America for, you know, the absolutely terrible weather of <laughs> the south of England. And I remember him taking this very cheeky little Penenka penalty down the middle and then nonchalantly turning around to walk back and not realising that it was the winning penalty in the shootout. He turned around and was very, looked very surprised to see all of his teammates running towards him. <laughs> so I, don't know, I, don't, I don't know whether it would have changed his style of penalty if he knew that it was the winning penalty or whether he just, that was what he was going to do. But that is the only specific memory I have of him playing. Yeah, he really didn't do much else for us either, did he? Um, he made no. seven. He made seven appearances uh, in the league for a total of eighty-four minutes, which is tragic. Yeah, he's coming really. on for the last ten. Yeah, he's coming on basically for the last ten minutes here and there, isn't he? Yeah, yeah he's another and one. Then, I don't remember uh, any of those league. I say I don't remember any of those games really. No, he was another one, just like Batipiadium thirteen. I kept mixing him up with Frutos, even though he looks nothing like Frutos. Yeah. It's just, I always remember him in the, the old Burgundy away shirt. You remember that? Yeah, 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 yeah. That was and classic, I keep thinking, yeah. yeah, I keep thinking Frutos is Baz. And like, again, someone will get to. Um, mixing, your, he, mixing your flair, flair foreigners up. Clearly, it's so sad to realise that Baz and Batafiedi, with all the fanfare they had, really didn't do a great deal for us. The only, the only other thing I've got on him, which is slightly, which I never really got until recently, was I was reading the article on the it was archived from the from the, the Albion website at the time when they both signed. And Baz's nickname, Gus referred to him as Chino or Chino. And that was because of his Oriental appearance. He was given that nickname <laughs> in Argentina basically because he looked Oriental. Good Just grief. Like, it's that kind of thing where you go, would that can like obviously you know not being a, not being a footballer but having you know played sport you know that you know nicknames get given in you know in, in dressing room environments but yeah. it's that kind of thing you wonder whether 10 years down the line whether if he signed today whether that would be an acceptable nickname to be I mean, broadcast and you know this is the opening in this is the opening interview this is like this player is signed and if you you'll find it anyone that can go and look at if you search you know for the archive on the on the Brighton website of when they signed you'll see it it's one of the first quotes from Gus it says um Chino will offer us you know something different down the left hand side you can also you know play him behind the main striker or something like that but you think this is the opening gambit this is the first impression the first mention that the fans are getting of this player and you've gone in with this slightly controversial nickname <laughs> Yeah, but that, maybe that's quite sad in itself. That yeah, one of my abiding memories of him is a nickname rather than anything that he did on the football pitch. I mean, when all he, when he has a total of eighty six minutes, there's not much more to have of him. Um, no, he also kind of went one Penenka penalty. Yeah, he also kind of went off the radar after that, um, and on transfer market and a bunch of other places that no one seems to know where he went between us and where he is now. Did you manage to find anything about was... where he went? I was told by a couple of different people that he, as I, as I texted you, he trained as a professional chef, dropped out of professional football and was still playing um, back in Argentina, I believe. But I don't know how he's now surfaced playing in New Zealand. I'm not quite sure how that's happened because that's, of all the things we've talked about in this segment, many of which have been bizarre, I think this is the most bizarre thing. Agreed. He's seemingly, um, he's seemingly got no connection to New Zealand. And he's 
playing for what we were talking yesterday, what looks like a fairly low ranking team in New Zealand, obviously a country who are not renowned for their, their, you know, their football league pyramid as, you know, I think most, a couple of their big clubs actually play in, in the Australian league, don't they? Yeah, Um, I think they do. Yeah. It's Olympic, Wellington Olympic. Which is, it's just very, it's very bizarre, but it's kind of, I think all of this thing is, it's fitting that, it, it has to be something so bizarre because generally our transfer dealings and their results. I mean, we go back to the Colin Kazim Richards thing. Obviously, you know, winning winning a Coca Cola competition and that being the only reason that you can sign a player. You know, we have these kind of bizarre chapters in our transfer history that you think it all makes perfect sense. The weirder the outcome, the more it fits us. It really is true. The only <laughs> club I could get. Uh, during the time of his chef moments, um, was Club Mercedes in uh, Antonio Argentino B. I don't even know what level of league that is. Some um, kind of re- regional league, I would guess. And this is I just think... a comment on transfermarket.com and a couple of other websites where there's just one person making the same comment over and over that he was at Club Mercedes. So whoever, it may even be him. <laughs> it may just be Christian Baz. Making sure that everyone knows where he everyone was. Everyone knew he had that stint. But it's weird. That similar, like his Wikipedia page just after he after he leaves us, that's it. It like it tails off. Oh, here we go. Torneo Argentino B is one of the two leagues that form the regionalized fourth level of the Argentine okay. football league system. So no wonder wow. he was able to afford to be a chef at the same time. Yeah, he was basically. Yeah, I mean it's it's not a great standard, is it? Let's no, be honest. Um, but if anybody is in New Zealand uh, that fancies going to watch some football, uh, number 19, midfielder number. forward, Christian Baz is now playing for Wellington Olympic FC, AFC, that's a, I apologise. That's a challenge for any of, uh, any of the listeners from that part of the world is to get a Christian Baz selfie, isn't it? It really is. It really <laughs> is. 